Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 22 of the Average Trulli podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and today's episode is very much going to be following up on last week. So last week, I had uh, Reece Silver from Elite Step to talk about the ins and outs of fight night preparation from a strength and conditioning perspective. So what I'm going to do today is talk about it from a nutrition perspective. Now, this isn't going to be just for combat sport athletes. This is basically going to be for every uh, weight category sport. Uh, so anybody who essentially has to make weight. Now, I'm pretty sure you're aware of the headlines. Uh, a lot of individuals do this very, very poorly. They use very bad practices and they both sacrifice their performance and sometimes their health in order to make weight. So what I want to do today in today's episode is uh, basically take you through a step-by-step process of how I work with combat sport athletes or any weightmate athlete, whether it's a powerlifter, weightlifter, you know, you name it, um, and essentially how they can safely make weight, uh, some of the considerations there, and also how to do it effectively without it impairing their performance. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. So the whole reason of having weight category sports is that every athlete, every individual uh, competes against someone with similar physical characteristics. So they're on a level playing field. So the idea of cutting weight is to come down from a higher weight class into a lower weight class um, and essentially just have an advantage over the competition because um, the competition will theoretically be smaller and weaker. So if you can start heavy, drop in, and then sort of uh, regain some of the way back, you essentially can be a bigger opposition. So, you know, this sounds absolutely great. And many individuals will do this. So research shows about 60-90% of competitors will use some form of weight-making strategy. Um, so when we think of making weight and trying to hit a target body weight, we can very much split this into two phases. Phase one, which is your chronic uh, weight loss phase. So this is primarily done by a body fat loss. And this can take, you know, weeks to months. When the second phase is your acute phase. Um, and this could be, you know, days to a week. So this is your rapid weight loss strategies. And like I said, the majority of individuals out there will be using this in some way, shape or form. Some use it wisely. Uh, and some use it very, very poorly, and it can be extremely detrimental to, again, both their performance and to their health. So I'm going to touch on phase one uh, briefly today, but I've covered follow strategies before uh, in various podcasts and posts. Um, but what I haven't really covered in any great deal of depth is the acute side of things, the rapid weight loss strategies. There's definitely utility to them. They do have the benefit. Uh, but as everything is a tool in a toolbox, we need to know what tools to use to be able to use them effectively. So I guess you kind of see in the headlines in terms of perhaps the unfavorable methods of rapid weight loss to so this acute weight loss phase. So you see individuals doing fasting, they you know they jump in the saunas, uh, they run in plastic suits, you know, you see them sort of lying on the floor like a mummy, like just dressed in towels. Uh, some individuals take diet pills or more extreme stuff like vomiting, laxatives, diuretics, um, all in order just to make weight. And it almost seems like that there's so much emphasis on making weight 
that they almost forget about the competition after it. They almost feel like they've won, they've had a success and a victory just by making weight. Where, for my perspective, that shouldn't really be the case. You know, making weight should just be a nice sort of uh, process. You can bring your body weight down, achieve your target weight goal, and then all your focus and energy should be towards that competition, whether it's, um, you know, powerlifting meets, you know, weight, uh, weightlifting, it could be MMA, boxing, all that kind of stuff. So what we need to do is really kind of remove the stress from making weight and so you can place all your emphasis, all your focus, all your energy on the competition itself. I don't want to be a case of, you know, you made weight, this is a victory, and then it's like, oh, yeah, I actually have to compete. I actually have to fight someone in the space of two to three hours. You know, um, this isn't the right mindset and not, not the right preparation for it. So today's podcast is all really about removing the stress and giving you a step-by-step uh, process and my way of thinking when it comes to uh, making weight. As I mentioned, there are you know several issues with rapid weight loss uh, in order to make weight. So this is both from a psychological perspective and a physiological perspective. So we know from the psychological perspective, there's good research out there showing that when individuals practice rapid weight loss strategies, they're going to have shorter memory loss, they're going to have a decrease in vigor, decreased concentration, decreased self-esteem, they're going to have increased sort of rage, fatigue, increased depression, isolation, and as you'd imagine, some form of disordered eating as well. So from the physiological issues, you're going to have a decreased or impaired aerobic and anaerobic performance. Uh, Your thermoregulation goes out of whack, so you essentially can't maintain uh, core body temperature. Uh, You can have decreased muscle and liver glycogen stores, so we know how important your carbohydrate status is to overall work capacity, both, again, both the physical and mental side of things. Uh, you can have a reduction in plasma volume because you're massively dehydrated. Uh, you can have increased cardiovascular strain, so your heart rate can have to pump a little bit harder to maintain blood pressure. Um, and then in some extreme cases, you can have hyponatremia, uh, so this is high amounts of sodium within the blood. Uh, you can have hypothermia, uh, just because your body can't keep you cool because you're so dehydrated. In uh, some cases, you can have acute kidney injury, so AKIs. Um, and then in like the worst case scenarios, you can have a heart attack and it can lead to death. Um, and you've seen this in the news for sure. So this is uh, from a practi- practitioner's perspective. Um, when I see individuals practicing like rapid weight loss strategies, this is not very good. Now, this is a big kind of red flag and a big warning sign in terms of they're doing it very, very, very wrongly because they are much safer and effective ways of making weight, um, where we don't have to go through all this sort of chaos of just trying to drop some weight for a fight or a competition. Um, like I said, everyone places so much emphasis on this, uh, where it shouldn't really be a case. You shouldn't have to be going to all these extreme measures just to make weight. There is an easier and more effective uh, approach to it. Um, so if this has been you in the past, doing all these crazy kind of weight-making strategies, um, and you've probably experienced some of these things, um, hopefully this is going to be a thing of the past as you can have almost like plug-and-play system uh, to go forward after this podcast. As we covered, um, there's clear negatives to rapid weight loss. Like 
very, very extreme cases, um, you know, it's going to be very detrimental to your health, if not your life. So what's been shown in the research that athletes who practice more aggressive weight cutting procedures presented better competitive results as compared to those who were more conscious with their health. Now, I know athletes are extremely driven and it's almost like a win at all costs kind of mentality and they don't really care about their health too much. But I think athletes, especially, um, I'm going to pick on combat sport athletes here, um, very kind of fixed in their ways of thinking, very old school, which is perhaps driven by the culture. Uh, and they almost feel like there needs to be some form of hardship to, in order to make weight. It's just part of the process. Um, but like I said, it doesn't have to be like this. We can make this process uh, far more simple, far more effective, and get the same outcome, if not a better competitive outcome, uh, without having to go through the hell of making weight. Um, so without um, blabbing on too much about the introduction and the negatives to making weight, uh, let's look at ways of how we can actually implement um, a weight-making strategy safely and effect effectively. So when it comes to building the plan of action for a weight-making sport, um, there's pretty much five key questions and considerations that come into my head. So for the purposes of consistency, uh, I'm going to use combat sport athletes, uh, a boxer, for, as an example. So the five kind of key considerations and questions uh, that come to my head are, the first one is pretty obvious. So how much do you weigh? So how much weight do we need to lose? So the same example, they need to lose 10 kilos. Okay, perfect. So at the moment, you're 10 kilos above the weight category. So next of all is, what's the time frame? So how many weeks do we have to achieve this goal? So if you have 10 weeks, like, okay, that's perfect. So we're looking about one kilo loss on average per week. Uh, but we will cover the acute uh, weight making strategies uh, later on. Uh, so we have to take that into consideration. But on average, we're looking at lose about one kilo per week. The third consideration is going to be, you know, what is your current body fat? So, you know, do you actually have this weight to lose via body fat? Um, you know, I've had, I definitely had quite a few individuals come to me who are already very lean but I still need to lose quite a significant amount of weight. Um, so say for example, I remember working with a super featherweight boxer and you know he had eight kilos of weight to lose. I was like, okay, that doesn't sound too much of an issue. Um, but you know, we got a DEXA scan, which is the gold standard to measuring a body fat percentage. And it came back that he only really had about seven and a half, eight kilos of body fat on his body. So is a case of like, okay, if you wanted to lose it all by body fat, um, you'd have zero body fat percentage, which obviously is not going to be healthy and to be fair, it's not actually possible either. Um, so it's a case of like, okay, is this actually possible getting down to this weight class, uh, especially with the proximity of uh, weighing to the event itself. So you see quite a lot of individuals, they'll you know, be very successful in like the kind of younger sort of age categories, like say when they're 14, 15, 16, they kind of achieve success at a certain weight category. And then as they kind of progressed, um, or shall we say, as they've matured, uh, you know, they've just grown up and put on muscle and so on. And each year it's just harder and harder and harder to 
get back down to our weight category. So, you know, each year they probably put on maybe a kilogram of weight, not necessarily a body fat of weight. And, you know, just making it almost like an impossible task to try and get down to the category that needs to be competed in. And this is where perhaps the more extreme and dire methods come in in terms of making weight strategies is, you know, when they're 15, 16, they didn't have to even worry about it. They just rocked up and they're good to go. But each year, the process and the method of making weight has just got more ridiculous in order to kind of hit that weight category. And these guys and girls were absolutely shredded, you know. Uh, there'd be nothing on them to lose. So one of the questions, I guess, alongside your current body fat percentage is, are you even in the right, the correct weight category uh, for your sport? You know, if you're building muscle all the time and you're just getting higher and higher and higher above the weight that you need to be, you know, maybe you just need to have a rethink and perhaps ask yourself, like, is this the right weight category for me to be in? You know, if you have to kill yourself to get down to weight every single time, um, is it actually worth it? Just perhaps have a little bit of a rethink uh, surrounding this. Perhaps, you know, if we've got um, a little bit longer to, between the weigh-in and the event itself, then yes, we can perhaps use more uh, acute weight-making strategies. But for the, you know, the amateurs or boxers and combat sport athletes and so on and a lot of weightlifters and powerlifters, uh, they'll have same-day weigh-ins. And, you know, we can't be dehydrating, depleting and stuff like that when you've got a same-day weigh-in because it massively compromise your performance. Uh, which we'll be going into in more detail uh, later on. So, and that kind of leads us nicely on to point four, like what is the duration between weigh-in and the event? So what's proximity? Generally speaking, the closer the weigh-in to the event time, the fewer acute weight-making strategies you can actually implement, where if you've got 24 plus hour weigh-in times, then yes, we can use more of the toolbox available to us because you'll have enough time to rehydrate and replenish uh, during that period. Um, but ultimately, like you would be going through a training camp, making sure you're in peak position, um, and we don't be using wrong strategies, the wrong tools to make weight, uh, which is going to compromise your performance because ultimately you're there, you're an athlete, you are there to perform at your best. And that's one thing I see a lot of individuals struggle with is that their performance absolutely sucks. And they hear a lot of people saying, like, complaining, like, oh, I just gassed out in a lot of sort of later rounds. And, you know, they're definitely fit enough. You know, they put in the hard work, they do all the training, um, but they just can't get enough sort of fluid and carbohydrates in them uh, to replenish for it because they've done these drastic weight making and strategies. So that'd be kind of consideration number four like what is the duration? Uh, and that is also gonna sort of factor in uh, with the time frame of point number two towards the time frame to actually um, make this weight. And then, you know, success definitely uh, leads clues then. So the point number five is what we done with your previous weight cuts. So what's worked well for you? What hasn't worked well for you? And then how can we incorporate the stuff that's worked well um, into our current plan of action. All the stuff that didn't work well, um, yeah, that's completely been that idea and push it to the side. As we mentioned, um, the weight loss phase is basically split into two. So phase one and phase two. Phase one is where we're gonna sort of look at your body fat loss. So 
as we covered last week uh, in last week's pod with Ray Silver from Elite Step, um, he mentioned that the whole idea of camp from a training perspective is basically just maintenance, making sure that they stay injury-free and illness-free so they can go into fight night in the best shape possible. Um, most of, or should we say, the majority of um, the adaptations from training and the real sort of improvements with strength and fitness is going to come from your off-season. So perhaps it's just a shift, um, like a paradigm shift in this whole idea of like, right, off-season, we do nothing and you're just tanking loads of food. Uh, and then you just go into camp and that's where you have this kind of Rocky Balboa kind of montage of you just working really hard and going through all the struggles to make weight. Where I think this has definitely changed now. So I'm in very much the same uh, train of thought as this. You know, when you're in camp, when you're doing all your very much your skill-specific um, work just ramps up, you would have really high-quality sessions. And we know that being in the calorie deficit during this time probably is going to compromise that. So we know that calorie deficits um, are really going to impair your performance, both physically and mentally, your recovery, um, you know, your daily freshness, fatigue is going to increase like your food focus, all that kind of stuff. So the idea for me in the perfect world, um, we would pretty much be sitting near to weight throughout, throughout camp because we've done all the hard work in terms of improving your body composition during the off season. So it goes hand in hand with um, the off season training that you're doing to, to really sort of look at adaptations and improving the physical qualities of your performance. So one thing I do see a lot of individuals do this, I think of the classic um, Ricky Hatton example of, you know, you've worked super hard and can't get loads of weight off him, and then you pan lose weight after, and it's just this continuous cycle, this continuous cycle, yo -yo, um, which is something we really need to get out of. The issue that happens potentially is that they go, just go so hard, so aggressive, so restrictive, with both the calories and food choices that they feel very deprived, and then, Yes, they make weight, that's cool. They perform pretty terribly because they haven't um, carved up or replenished or anything for fight night. And then if you're so deprived, then they just binge after the next sort of two to four weeks. Um, and then you know they put on a stone and then this you know, this cycle just starts over. So the idea is during this sort of follows phase, uh, we still want to be thinking about making this approach sustainable. Yes, uh, you can have some compromise and trade-offs, but we can negate this as best as possible through the degree of the calorie deficit. But if you can make this um, fat loss phase nice and enjoyable to a certain extent, um, then it just negates the need to rebound after and just binge. Like when I started working with fighters and I kind of put them on sort of different kind of meal plans with nice foods, decent portion sizes, but still in the calorie deficit, they're like, Chris, I don't feel like I'm on a diet. This is strange. I'm like, you know, how's your food focus at the moment? Like, yeah, I'm eating really nice food. I don't even feel like binging or anything like that. So that's the kind of mindset we want to be in, just to make sure that we bring body fat off in a nice or sustainable way uh, that prevents the rebound after. As we say, prevention is always better than the cure. So when we look at um, making weight uh, via body fat loss, we're looking to lose about 05 to 1%, 1% uh, per week of body weight. Uh, this is so we can make gradual change in body composition, uh, get close to that sort of goal we're looking for, 
without really sort of experiencing too many compromises and trade-offs. Yes, ideally this is done in the off-season, but if we need to, we can do this uh, in camp. Um, you know, through a nice gradual kind of approach. What I see a lot of uh, individuals do as well is, if we think of the periodization of normal camp, it may start off quite chilled. Say it's a 12 week camp, myself quite chilled. And then the intensity and volume level um, output significantly increases towards the end. And this is where they probably have the biggest calorie deficit as well. And you know, ultimately they need to be performing in these sessions and they simply can't because calorie deficit may have started quite small to begin with, maybe like five, ten percent, but towards the end it's maybe like 35, 40 percent. And you know, they just can't maintain the work uh, output at all. And that's where big issues come. And this is where low energy comes in, food focus goes to the roof, and this really sets them up for that sort of binge. Um, so again, whenever we look at weight loss, this chronic kind of weight loss phase via body fat loss, we're looking about 0.5 to 1% loss in body weight per week. Um, I believe British boxing used about 0.5 kilo loss per week uh, as a target, but I'd just like to use it a little more relative to the uh, body weight because obviously uh, different individuals are from different sizes and perhaps a little more specific to them. Another reason why we should perhaps think about uh, getting the bulk of uh, the body fat off in the off season is because it just removes the last minute panic. Um, now I've definitely been contacted by many fighters and coaches before in terms of, you know, we started our cut eight weeks ago, like fantastic, um, but we're a little bit behind. Um, and we still have, you know, about a stone to lose. It's like, okay, that's cool. How long do you have before you have to compete? And like, oh, about four weeks. And like, well, that's just shit. That is in a really shitty position that you're in now. Um, now there's a panic. Now there's urgency. And now you're going to have to do something relatively drastic to make weight. Um, and then they ask, like, oh, can you help? And then if it's possible, can you um, make sure performance is 100% on point as well? So it's like, it's the impossible task of losing a stone in four weeks while having optimal performance. Like, it's just not going to happen. So I know from my perspective, when I've been in this position, it's almost like two scenarios. is a case of, right, just say like, no, I'm not going to work with you and best of luck with it because I know that they're going to go away and do it very poorly. And this is where... You know your rapid weight making strategies happen and very bad practice and it's going to compromise the individual's health um and i know they're probably just going to starve and just do all this horrible kind of stuff it's always a case of like okay let's try and take you through this process whilst negating these compromises as best as possible but ultimately it's still going to be a pretty shit kind of few weeks to, uh, to make weight um but means it's not the best practice in the world but it's better than what they would have done if they were left to their own devices so Kind of long story short beyond this, so just be really proactive with it. Don't think you could do this on your own and leave it to the last minute because if you do um, and it doesn't go to plan, then you're pretty fucked on it. So what you need to do, again, just be really proactive. Start in advance, ideally in the off-season. We're now still in lockdown. Many fighters and um, combat sport athletes, they're not competing at the moment. So use this time to focus on improving your body composition. I know mentally it's quite difficult because you don't have a specific deadline in mind, but just work towards it. So it kind of, again, minimizes this rush 
um, for when a fight does get scheduled. So use this time wisely. You don't have to be peaking for performance at the moment. You should be working on just improving your training adaptation, improving your body composition. So when you do go into camp, then you can just really just focus on the skill and the quality of the skill, as opposed to thinking, I need to restrict my calories going into the session because I'm still overweight. Um, so just think about, okay, the periodization of everything. Think of the periodization of your year. You know, you know, obviously, um, this year has been a little bit funny with COVID in terms of scheduling and fights, but on the, in the ideal sort of scenario, think of when your off-seasons are. Think of when potentially you're going to have fights, when your camps are, and then just block in where you need to be working on your body composition so you can just go, go through camp uh, with all very high-quality training sessions, feeling strong, always having a spring in your step, and always have like, um, a nice kind of snap in your punch and stuff like that. You don't be kind of just flailing your arms and there's nothing behind it. You don't be like sort of punching like a kitten, okay? Um, and this is very much going to be down to fueling, carbohydrate-related, hydration, and overall sort of calorie intake as well. Once we've got bulk of the weight off via this chronic fat loss phase, then we can move into the uh, secondary phase of making weight. And this is our acute weight loss strategies. So when sort of researchers have interviewed um weight making athletes as to why they do this it is very much down to kind of three main things that they kind of found so one it kind of gives them like an identity like quote unquote a real athlete because they go through this hardship they go through this rocky balboa kind of process and um, they have like greater like mental diversions this internal focus it really kind of sharpens the sword so to speak and you feel like you're going to get a mental advantage as well like if you're bigger than your opponents you know you feel like you can dominate them and that's going to improve uh confidence and everything that goes along with it so there's definitely some utility behind this and you know i can't come in and say that right it's absolutely pointless we can't do this because there is some utility there there is some benefit to it but we have to use these tools and toolbox and use them at the right time so when we think of the tools in the toolbox um, and in terms of our body weight manipulations, there's basically four things we can look at. So number one, being a sort of low fiber, low residue diet, um, that can use perhaps one to three days out. We can use a low sodium diet, which we'll perhaps look to implement about three days out. Um, we've got a low carbohydrate diet. So you're looking to deplete your muscle collection stores, and that can happen within perhaps five to seven days out. And then we've also got uh, stuff like water loading and water restriction about five days out as well. When we think of our four tools in the toolbox to manipulate body weight and the days leading up to a weigh-in, um, we can further divide these into two different sort of categories, uh, on a day weigh-in and 24 hour plus weigh-in. So we know that to optimize performance, the two most important things are carbohydrate intake and hydration. And if you are gonna go on a low carbohydrate diet or do water loading or with some form of dehydrating on a same day weigh-in, um, then your performance is gonna be far from optimal. So in that case, we kind of leave them for uh, the 24 hour plus weigh-ins. And then on the day weigh-ins, we just look at the first two. So the low residue diet and low sodium intake. Now I call this free weight loss without performance compromise. 
purely because we can lose weight by following different dietary manipulations without it affecting our carbohydrate stores and affecting our hydration status. So what is a low-residue diet? So a low-residue diet is essentially a low-fiber diet. So when you go on a low-fiber diet, it basically reduces the gut content and the water associated with that um, fiber as well. So it works really well with individuals to go from a high-fiber diet to a low-fiber diet. So if you go from a low-fiber diet to a low-fiber diet, there's no real change and you're not going to have any changes in your gut contents like stool and stuff like that. But if you go from high to low, it works incredibly well. So and it's just really practical and quite easy to implement. You just remove um, fibrous-based foods like vegetables, fruit, um, all that kind of stuff. So what you typically see when you do this about one, two, maybe three days beforehand is about one to two percent body weight loss. So I know when we're sort of looking at the long-term weight-making plan, uh, we don't necessarily need to lose 100% of the weight by body fat loss. We can probably go to about 2% above uh, where they need to be, especially for same-day weigh-ins. Um, and basically just implement this low-residue diet uh, in the days leading up to it. Um, this is really, really beneficial and is highly effective. And like I said, it's super easy to do. You basically follow a pretty similar sort of diet plan, uh, but you just take out all vegetables. What I look to do with this as well is I just look to decrease the food volume so you have less voluminous foods in your gut as well. So on the same kind of um, line of thought, you know, if you have uh, 500 grams of potato, uh, which are granted is a lot, you know, that's 100 grams uh, of carbohydrates. But if you want to have that from, say, basmati rice, you now that's only 150 grams of weight, for example, there, thereabouts. So if you're just looking at the scoreboard, um, you know, one weighs less than the other, then therefore it's going to be less weight in your gut. So when I build like low residue kind of diets and plans uh, for this purpose, I kind of marry in the two. And um, it looks quite unusual like by a lot of clients thinking like, Chris, what is this diet plan? This looks so weird. Um, but you know, it works extremely well. Like if this is the opportunity to have very high energy dense foods, that's mostly sugar, but has a very low food volume and low fiber intake. So we still keep carbohydrate intake higher to support fueling, um, but we kind of just have very reduced amounts of gut content. So again, it just works incredibly well. Um, you know, there's actually a few Rice Krispies grits on Haribo on that day for sure. Um, where the second one then as well is uh, sodium. So a low sodium diet is going to be beneficial. So we know that decreasing sodium intake will decrease extracellular fluid. Um, but the issue with is I you just don't have uh, you don't retain as much water. Um, but it's a little bit more difficult to execute because literally everything has salt and sodium in. Um, but this just means that your food is just going to be pretty bland and a little bit boring. Uh, so you can't put salts on it, you can't put seasonings on it, sauces, all that kind of stuff. Um, just because you don't have any added sodium. So when you combine a, a low sodium diet with low residue diet, you're going to expect a few percent uh, body weight loss, uh, quite straightforward. Uh, but again, it is a little bit more difficult to execute a low sodium 
diet, um, especially if you don't usually track your sodium intake, how do you know if you're going from a high sodium diet or low sodium diet and so on. So this is why things in the last four week, two weeks do have to be quite measured in terms of sodium intake and so on, just so you can see if there's going to be an actual change in sodium content of your diet when you look to use uh, this strategy. This is also a really nice strategy which allows you to eat going into the weigh-in as well. So I know a lot of individuals don't really like the thought of it, but when I work with, say, weightlifters, powerlifters, especially like the lighter individuals or lighter athletes who pretty much compete in maybe 60 to 90 minutes after um, they actually sort of make weight, um, what I like to do is get their body fat down so they're pretty much at weight about you know one to two days out, and then I put them on a low-sodium, low-residue diet. They lose about one to two percent of their body weight, which may be about a kilo, um, and then what I do then is that just gives us a kilo to play with to get some kind of food, some breakfast, and some hydration, some fluid in. Um, so they're actually going to go into uh, their first lift in a very hydrated and replenished state. So what we do there, we'll just weigh everything out, um, weigh all their food. So if they don't have, I don't know, 75 grams of oats for breakfast with, I know, 100 ml of fluid with one banana, which is 100 grams, 15 grams of honey, all that kind of stuff. We just weigh it all up um, and see, obviously, how much weight we have left. So if you're a kilo under and you eat 500 grams um, of food in that morning, okay, you can have 300 milliliters of water and therefore you still got 200 grams to play with, assuming that your weighing scales are accurate, that is. Um, and therefore, there's no rush, there's no urgency to try and fuel going into that first lift, because I guarantee there's going to be other competitors who won't be doing this, and they'll be going to the weigh-in completely fasted, and then you've got 60 to 90 minutes to try and get some kind of food and uh, fluid into them, which most likely isn't going to make a huge impact with regards to their fueling and their performance. So if we can go a little bit beyond where you need to be, uh, have breakfast, and then eat going into the weigh-in, you're going to be in a far better position um, in terms of your performance. You know, if you're competing like six to eight hours after, like in the evening, then you probably don't have to do this. Um, but for the individuals who have a super tight turnaround, I would actually advise overshooting your weight uh, category goal and actually eat going into the weigh-in just so you're fully fueled and performance is not going to be an issue um no 60 to 90 minutes after if you then need extra weight loss um so say for example if you have a 24 hour plus weigh-in period then we can start looking at the next two strategies which one is a low carbohydrate diet so this is just glycogen depletion we know that one gram of carbohydrate is roughly going to hold on to about three grams of water into the muscle so if you go on a low carbohydrate diet you deplete your glycogen stores and therefore you de um, deplete some water weight as well. And this can be perhaps around 2% uh, from a fully replenished um, fighter or athlete. So we can only really do this uh, with 24 hour plus weight because again, if we deplete your glycogen stores, the carbs in the muscle, and you try competing with it, um, you know, your performance is going to suck massively. Um, we know that once you hit certain levels of depletion, the muscle becomes impaired with regards to its 
contract our properties and it's just not going to be able to produce the same amount of force and power output is going to massively drop. So we definitely don't want this on the same day win. But if you've got, you know, a 24 plus hour win, you know, you can deplete quite well. And within that time frame, if you get a good feed on and a good amount of carbohydrates in, like very high amount of carbohydrates, then you can replenish in the space of 24 to 36 hours pretty comfortably. And, you know, performance is going to be absolutely on point uh, during like fight nights or during your lifting or whatever you're trying to make weight for. So there's definitely utility in this approach. Uh, but you have to do it on a 24 plus hours sort of weighing time scale. Then the last strategy we're going to look at for the 24 plus hour weighing period is water loading. This is something that's very anecdotally uh, what I've seen as well is uh, it's just very, very, very common. A lot of people do water loading. And to my knowledge, there's, I believe, one study out there showing that it can be beneficial. And the rest is very much just anecdotal, like, oh, he does water loading, I'm going to do water loading as well. She found it beneficial, therefore I'm going to do it. So what this one study in water loading showed um, was that you definitely have responders and non-responders. It doesn't work for everyone. So what they did was a five-day process. Uh, The first three days, they had two groups. Uh, The first group drank. 100 milliliters uh, per kilogram of body weight. So if you're a 70 kilo athlete, that's seven liters. Um, versus the more of a control group, we drank 40 milliliters per kilogram body weight. So if you weigh 70 kilos, uh, that is 2.8 liters. So quite a significant difference. Um, on day four, they both transitioned into consumption of fluid at about 15 milliliters per kilogram body weight. So, you know, that's between 1 to 1.5 liters. Um, sorry, I can't do the maths on the top of my head. Um, and then on day five, they had no fluid to uh, try and replicate uh, weight making kind of processes. And again, what we found is what they found was they had responders and non responders. On average, these individuals lost about 1.2% of their body weight via water loading, but you had some that didn't really lose anything. And then some outliers that you know uh, lost about five percent of body weight loss. So what we can really take away from this is yes, on a whole, it does work and it is safe to do, uh, given these sort of parameters and the numbers that work enough. Um, but you have to trial this first to find out exactly how it works for you. Um, don't take it on like face value and say like oh. On average, it works, so it must work for me. It works for that person over there. You know, set up your own um, mini weight making sort of trial again to find out what works, what doesn't. You know, if you put all these strategies, these four strategies together, okay, what is the maximum amount of weight that I can lose safely just by implementing these strategies? If you find that you can lose what four percent uh, when you combine all these strategies together then that's how much you need to be sitting above your weight category. And that's where we could just kind of hold. If you can only use uh, two of these strategies because they're confined or weighing and you can only lose 1.52% via these methods, then again, you can only really sit 1.52% above your weight category. So kind of putting this all into like um, a nice summary, it really is a case of choosing the correct method 
choosing the correct tool out of the toolbox. So if um, you have a weigh-in and it's 30 minutes before the event itself, you know, ideally you probably look at about one to three percent of body weight loss and that can be achieved via a low residue diet and a low sodium diet. If you have uh, perhaps three to four or perhaps four to six hours uh, between the weigh-in and the event itself, you could probably push that up to 5%. So you can't go full dehydration or full glycogen depletion, but you can definitely do like a, a small to moderate one. Um, and therefore, again, lose about sort of 5%-ish body weight. Again, these are on average, we do need to trial these um, to see how you, know, you respond to them essentially. Where if you have 24 hours, if you have a full day, uh, you can pretty much go full tilt at it and use everything. Um, so from a fully hydrated and from a fully replenished state, uh, you'd look at implementing a low residue diet, a low sodium diet, you could do full glycogen depletion, then you do a water load, and you're probably looking between you know five to eight percent uh, loss in body weight there. And you know, if you really wanted to kind of push that like ten percent, that's when dehydration methods come in, which I really don't think is necessary and I wouldn't be overly comfortable doing that with individuals. Um, you know, sort of top end for me really is talking about, you know, five to eight percent. Um, and that again is with a twenty-four hour weigh-in. But as I kind of mentioned throughout this whole um acute weight making strategy section, you know, the closer we have uh, the weigh-in to the event itself, the fewer amount of strategies we can actually look to implement and to put into practice because again the most important thing is performing you don't be compromising to your ability to perform because you put so much effort into making weight you know it's pretty futile isn't it so yes weight making strategies are important but it's choosing the right ones for the right period and for the right scenario. To wrap up uh, today's episode of the pod, so four key take homes. One, it's not a one size fits all approach. Um, we have to think specific and specific to you. Um, just because a certain individual does something, it doesn't mean that we should copy them and it's gonna work for you, okay? Uh, which leads us on to point two, we need to test strategies in training first so we don't have any hidden and nasty surprises on the day of your competition. Um, point three, we need to ensure that the fat loss phase is sustainable so we don't rebound after. We want to try and just get rid of all of this sort of bad um, you know, binge uh, cut kind of cycling. Uh, we don't want this at all, okay? Um, and then the last one is very much a case of don't leave it till the last minute. Be proactive with the planning. You know what the time frame you're working with. You know what the end goal is. You know what your weekly rates of weight loss should be. And if you're not achieving those uh, weekly rates of weight loss, reach out, ask a professional, and get help sooner rather than later. Uh, I don't leave it till three weeks out and tell an individual you have a stone to lose. So hope this helped uh, today, guys. Um, if you found any value in this episode, uh, please share with individuals so they not fall into the sort of nasty practices of weight making. Uh, ultimately, we do not want to be compromising health to make weight. It's just not worth it in the slightest. And then likewise, 
we don't be compromised performance either um so guys that's wrap for today if you have any questions queries or anything i can help you with uh just reach out on instagram dms and you'll find me there uh but until next time guys goodbye <laughs>